I was actually from, um, I'm from a bit north of Sydney originally and spent a lot of time in Sydney as well. Yeah. Moving up here, bro, it is so fucking awesome. Like I, if I was face to face, like not so good, but because we're online, this is just, it's unreal. It's amazing. What do you mean if we were face to face? Because I'd love to do that in the future. Uh, it's always my preference. Oh, face to face. Hell yeah. Come on. I was talking about it like as in for running business. Sorry. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Running business. Like, dude, it's it, up here. It's just not quite. Where are you from? You're from Melbourne. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, dude. Great. Great down there. Like it's uh, it's slower up here. Man, it's everything's slower. Sydney, Melbourne's got that buzz. It's got that hustle. People yes. doing cool shit. Yeah. There's a little bit here, um, but the people who seem to be crushing it the most uh, particularly around our age group, they're all online. So for online stuff, it's amazing. What do you think of how to pick where to live? Because you're right, this city, Sydney as well, has this, you know, big cities that have this very A-type personality, just go, go, go. But there's also this trade-off between lifestyle, well-being and mental calm versus ambition and drive. Dude, if this is the combo we're going to have, we're going to have a fucking awesome interview. <laughs> <laughs> it really, it depends. Like, um, it really depends on what you want. See, I've got, I've, I, I've coached a lot of high-end guys, right? So I've coached some, I've coached some top-level lawyers. I've coached some guys who run like hundred million plus dollar companies. Yeah. Um, and it really depends what you're after. We've got, we've got some guy, I got one guy at the moment who's super successful in the mining space and he's based out of, he's in, um, in the, I think it's near St Kilda or something like that. I think it is somewhere down, somewhere down there, down there. And he loves, he loves that for him because it's cool because he just drives out. Then we've got lawyers who love being in the city and it's go, 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 go. And they crush it. And then I've got like the more lifestyle guys who are around here in, in the Goldie and some in WA. And for them, like their hustle and their true success comes when they're free and they've got that flow. So it really depends on the person and the perspective from which they come. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, I think it's quite subjective. How did you figure out, like for people listening as well, like how do you think it's best to figure out when, where to go, what environment you thrive in and understanding that that's going to change throughout your life? Yeah, well, it depends on what you're doing as well. So with me being online, I can be wherever the fuck that I want to be. That's yeah. the best thing about online, right? You know, we lived in, we, so, so for now, that's my, my girl, we, we travel for most of the year normally. Like we we're meant to be in, in Bali for most of this year, but obviously COVID, you know, um, that kind of put a hold on that. Um, so we can go anywhere and I, we just pick and choose where we want to be. I grew up in Newcastle. So we moved back to Newcastle for a bit, spent a lot of time in Sydney, lived there, decided, no, fuck that. Hate it. Way too, it's way too busy. Fuck. When I moved out of Sydney, I literally looked about 10 years younger, just from way less stress. And I had two hours extra in the day, just from not sitting in traffic. It's wow. insane. It's insane. Um, so for us, it's like, we just, we just go every, wherever we want. But if you're having like a face-to-face -face business, you've really got to go with the market. That's one of the limitations of face-to-face. -face. I mean, look at PT. PT, in my opinion, like where else, what other job can you do a 12-week course in, right? Get your qualifications, go out and get paid $100 an hour, choose your hours, work wherever the fuck you want. Like what an insane fucking job. And then after that, you get to specialize in wherever you learn. And your whole learning and your whole expertise is up to you. You don't have to go to uni and crew $50,000 of debt. You're like, what is it to go through and do your course? It'll be like five grand or 10 grand or something, right? You're, you're yeah. in the ballpark. Yeah. 
Yeah, like that's that's sort of sorry. I don't mean to yeah, you spill your prices, but like no, to, no, no, to go through fine. and get qualified like by you guys for a few thousand fucking dollars, like what an industry! Like it's insane that you can go through and do that, and you literally make that investment back within a couple of weeks. But it's an interesting thing because not everybody does, right? There is a you know the cream rises to the top, and I think a lot of people mm. are attracted to that. You sold it really well. Like you probably got some people buzzing, be like, yeah, I do want to do that. Um, but how there's this kind of interesting thing where some people just never put the puzzle pieces together to figure out how to get towards the level that a guy maybe like you're at where you have that freedom and flexibility. How did you create that lifestyle from the get? Because not everybody can charge a hundred dollars from the beginning. They gotta kinda earn their stripes, get some more experience. How did you get from point zero to point today? Yeah, well, I'm ready to actually like what our um, our company values are and like what 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 we really uh, go through is it's it's five. It's water. That's the acronym for it. The first one's work ethic, right? Just making sure that you just work hard. Everybody's after the easiest thing. We want to take the shortcut and. If you see that stuff on social media about all these wealthy businessmen who are crushing it, and I know some of the guys in this, I work with a lot of guys in e-commerce and stuff like that, and they fucking work 70, 80, 100 hours a week, week in, week out, seven days a week. A lot of them don't have lives, and then some of them go through and sell that bullshit dream. You've got to have a work ethic, right? If you want to, if you want to be successful, you've got to work hard. I have worked more than my fair share of 100-hour weeks. I've got fucking I had gray hair by the time I was 24. Right. So it's like, if you want to be successful, you got to have a work ethic. You got to take action as well. That's the second thing. Action. You just got to get shit done. Everybody talks about it. Everyone talks about how I want to make all this money as a PT, or I want to do this, or I want to live this lifestyle, or I'm going to do this. You see these, all these fucking posts on Facebook. And it's not like it gets me frustrated, but I feel sorry for people who post this. They say, big things coming, watch this space. And it's not like even you're doing a launch. It's not like there's any like strategic marketing launch plan behind it. It's just like, I'm going to do something cool in the future, but not today. I'm like, motherfucker, just do it today. You know what I mean? I've seen that so many times do you say that? It's like, oh, it's such an interesting thing. Go on, go on. Oh, yeah, dude, it is. It's crazy. And then those people inevitably never fucking do anything, right? You won't see those words coming out of my mouth ever. Like the next thing after that is T for tenacity. Um, whenever you are going to do anything, you need to be tenacious. You're going to get the shit knocked out of you. I have had the shit knocked out of me more times than fucking I can count. Every week, someone will come in and rag on me. I've been called out. I've had fucking thousands of messages of abuse and shit like that for really no reason whatsoever. Um, but you've got to be able to go through and push through and hustle. You're going to get rejected. You're going to get put down. And any time where the world is a tall poppy. The world's a tall poppy. And if you want to get up to the point where you're charging, I, I, I don't see $100 an hour as much. If you want to get up to the charge where, where you know, I, I charge, you know, about a thousand bucks an hour. That's what I do. And um, whenever people see that and see you're at that level, they want to just fucking tear you down, right? And as soon as you're above the mean, as soon as you're above someone, most people are going to want to claw you down. It's very, it's, you get like the top 10%, 5, 10% of people who are like really amped for you, but 90% of, one, 90% of people want to drag, drag you down. So you've got to have tenacity and just be persistent and push through the grunt. And then the next thing is you've got to be excellent. You need to make sure that everything you do, you do it with excellence. You do your marketing with excellence. You do your sales with excellence. You do your customer service with excellence. You do your product delivery with excellence because 
you see, you'll see this, man. Like you're in the game. Everybody these days is marketing. Everyone's got a new fucking seven day free challenge or I knew this or I knew that. And there's all this marketing and then the delivery falls off. You're not going to build a successful business without excellence. We generate a buttload of referrals. Every week we get referrals rolling in through the door. You know, like thousands of dollars a week of referrals coming through the door because we deliver excellence. Our uh, retention rates and our markers for... Um, how long our customers stay with us. I like double everybody else's in online coaching. Um, most people anticipate for about 30% of their customers to not see out their agreed term, be it like 12 or, or 24 weeks. We have 5%, you know, so it's like way, way less. And that's just because people lose their job due to COVID or like real things like that, as opposed to hating the program. Um, and so we pride ourselves on always having excellence because if you don't have excellence, you don't have a product. Simple as that. Word gets around really quick. And then the last thing is respect and not saying like respect is in like, you've got to respect your elders or any bullshit like that. It's have respect for yourself, value yourself. And then when you value yourself and you treat yourself with respect, then you'll immediately inherently respect everyone around you. Right? So they're the, th the five things are the five values that we go through and we hold. And that's what has allowed us to become in my opinion, quite successful with what we do. I really like that. You've just described five very personal values to you that have set you up to create the lifestyle, career, and success that you had today. You mentioned you've got the shit knocked out of you a couple times. I wonder what failure or disaster was actually a blessing in disguise and set you up for later success. Dude, every single one. Um, I, I fuck up a lot, right? <laughs> I do a lot of dumb shit. What's one of the bigger I, ones or the most notable? The, mo the most notable is for me, I'm, so I'm quite a public face. So people, every person in Australia has seen my face, you poor people, right? I, I feel, I'm sorry to all of you. Um, but like we, we, you know, we get out to several million people a just week, marketing. watch our stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And one of my big things is I just say what I think like this, this us talking right now, this is just what's in my head. It comes out. There's no filter. There's no planning. There's nothing like that. And one of the things that, that I really screwed up on was that I didn't anticipate having my words taken out of context, my words heard differently to the way that I said them and not in the spirit of way that I said them. And the biggest learning for me was that, and I've been called out a shitload of times, hell, but here's the people probably hearing this have heard me being ragged on before, um, and, and some of it rightly so. And with the, the, the biggest thing that I took out of that was that I don't need to worry about what I'm saying. I need to worry about what other people are hearing. Um, and it's not about as, as much as what I'm trying to do, but it's about what they're actually receiving. And also, how can people take my words out of context? How can they actually go through and twist and manipulate what I've said to make me sound like an idiot, make me sound like I'm dishonest, make me sound like in any, any sort of light. Because shit, we look at the moment, and you can go to any normal gym and you see this, people backstab each other all the time. There's loads of people out there who backstab and will badmouth others to bring them up. You know, there, there's two ways to become the biggest tower in town. First one's to build yours up, the second one's to tear everyone else's down. And all the, all the cunts in life, excuse my French, are in the second camp, right? And, and there's a lot of people who are in that second camp who'll do that. And so if you, if I, if I allow myself to be taken out of context, it's on me, right? It's my fault. And so the biggest learning was that. And I'm super thankful that I've been called out because sure, I've had, you know, several thousand people go through and badmouth me and all that sort of stuff. 
And because I was, I was ill-prepared, I wasn't prepared enough for it. But now I'm never going to make that, that, that same mistake when I'm in front of millions. You know what I mean? Well, it sounds like you've learned the important, valuable lesson of clear communication because there's this gap between intent and interpretation. And that happens all the time on social media is that you have a certain amount of characters, you do your best, sometimes you don't do your best to get an idea across and mm. then we filter it through like our cognitive biases and logical fallacies and then things get misconstrued and context gets clouded. How do you... How have you learned then to be a better communicator when you are putting yourself out there to millions to minimize that? Think before I say, that's the first obvious <laughs> one. Um, I've also got um, Sophie, my, my lady, she goes and she proofs a lot of the stuff that I say okay. and she'll say, oh, James, I wouldn't say that. Um, and, and things like that. Much harder when I'm live. So whenever I'm live and I'm doing stuff, I'm much more conservative and I won't say anything out outrageous. One of the other things too about reason why we've got where we've been is um, I'm not really I'm not really held by like the industry dogma. I'm not really held by other people's beliefs and what they say that I should do or how I should that how I should keep coach people how I shouldn't because most most coaches are just not good and I don't want to be held to that standard on my own standard. And so we do a lot of stuff differently. But I also withhold I choose when to release some of my more I guess you'd say cutting edge riskier stuff. Hold that back a little bit. And then give guys out the more general stuff to start with and then save for the people who are closest to me, who I trust, who I know I already have good communication with, to then go through and talk them, talk with them about the higher level shit that I'm really, really super passionate about. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It sounds like you're almost testing ideas that are maybe you haven't, you're still kind of thinking through with people close to your circle, test them, break them, remodel them, and then put them in the real world. A hundred percent. I'll give you an example. One time I screwed up. I was doing an interview with another fella and I was talking about how stress actually affects movement patterns. This is all super unproven. And, um, and I was looking at with a lot of clients, how whenever they were more stressed, they got more injuries, heaps of muscular injuries, heaps of joint injuries like that for no reason, like getting out of a car. Why does your back go when you get out of a car? That doesn't make sense. You've done that a thousand times before. And so looking at how people are going through this stress and when the autonomic nervous system is like upregulated, how that goes through and it change, seems to change movement patterns. And so I went out and said that, and I sounded like an absolute idiot because there was no evidence behind it by anecdote. And then it was only, that was about three years ago. And then it was only earlier this year that I had someone come out and say, yes, there's actually been a substantial amount of evidence, you know, coming out for that. And so if I just held that out uh, till now, I would have said like, sound like a fucking genius, but because I, I let it out early in a circle where I wasn't really close, uh, I sounded like an idiot because it was just completely unproven. But there's also this kind of balancing act where, you know, the reality is, not everything we say in the, the human science field is going to be backed by evidence because there's anecdote, there's experience, there's intuition. And guess what? Why can't we just say, this has been my experience. I have no evidence to support it, but I prefer to do it like this. And this is what I think happens. What's, what's wrong with that? In my opinion and our opinion, nothing. In fact, I think that's the most beautiful, wonderful way to think ever. And, and dude, fuck, I'm loving this this course. This is super refreshing <laughs> because not many people think like this. Um, I mean, you look into the evidence-based community and a lot of people who describe themselves as evidence-based, if there's not a study to support it, yeah, they say it doesn't exist. It. Right. They're just like, no, nah, it's impossible. It doesn't work. It's, it's not there. 
And I think that's super, super, uh, just a very limited way of thinking. And then, so what's actually wrong with our way of thinking where, you know, why does an anecdote work? Why doesn't, why, what, what's the difference between, you know, evidence-based practice versus practice-based evidence? Um, why, why aren't we, why aren't we avail, able to do the, the former, the latter? It's because guys like you and I, where we're at, where we're thinking about ways to move forwards, if somebody says something outlandish, we're not going to go and jump onto their social media and rag on them and say, this person's an idiot. We don't give a fuck. We're like, oh, let him do his thing. I'm busy doing my stuff. But what I've found is that a lot, not all, I'm definitely not slanting all evidence-based people, but a lot of people in that evidence-based community are very, very hyper-aggressive, overly aggressive, and quick to go and slam people who have said anything out of their little circle, anything that's out of line, they're quick to bang, go and bounce on it. And you'll see people who get slammed and there's like thousands of people spewing hate when some guys put up a post that they don't agree with. It may not be wrong. There's no proof either way, but they'll go through and slam on it. And that's why I see that you, it may not be beneficial. I mean, you can go through and talk about practice-based evidence, right? And anecdote and all that sort of stuff, but it may not be beneficial because of the amount of hate and, and vile, I don't know what you call it, toxic words that get spewed your way. Well, that's what I've found anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, it's a risk you take anytime you put yourself out there. But um, I think what I've found is just, when you communicate just to position yourself as as that, like not saying it as fact, but saying it as personal perspective or experience is a, is a useful way to soften maybe some of the potential emotion that gets caught up in people when they see things they disagree with. A hundred percent. I'd go even one step further yeah. and I would funnel your content. I would funnel your words out. So out to the general public, have your stuff, which is more more vanilla, not super, not boring, more but general. more vanilla, yeah. more general, right? Yeah. And then after that, as they become more familiar with you, then get them into, and they believe you and they trust you and they see where you're at and they understand that you're actually a good person who's there for their best interests, then go out with more of the advanced stuff, is the that, more controversial. Is that an example of what you do practically with your Facebook group? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, because I'm trying to like pass out what practically people could do. I want to shift to nutrition i really uh when i see um different people on social media with a photo of themselves with a box of donuts and then i'm always intrigued into how because you're jacked you're strong you you have built this physique and you know that represents excellence in its own way and while that seems common in the fitness industry it's very rare actually in totality of a population and so i wonder how do you manage psychologically and habit wise integrating more flexible types of gluttonous foods into your nutrition regime and then with the clients that you've worked with in the midst of more of a structured whole food stricter approach like how do you balance gluttony and structure discipline and regime and total health and nutrition i'm i'm gonna say straight out like i don't do it the best <laughs> i'm far from the best at that um how i do my things is i eat however the fuck i want to eat um i do whatever i want but when i say however i want i'm not i'm not a slave to my cravings I don't let my cravings own me. Um, actually, you know what? The best thing that I found to help me balance it out was understanding why I feel certain ways. 
why I get certain cravings, how certain foods make me feel, how some things that work, some things that don't. Like one thing I'll never do, I'll never eat, uh, won't I ever eat gluten. I just don't eat gluten because I know that whenever I eat it, I get really foggy. I start getting anxiety and I start getting like really inflamed and just feeling shit after I've eaten it. I can have like trace amounts, but then once I hit that threshold, bang, it just smashes me. So I never have that. I rarely have dairy as well. Same sort of thing. I rarely have corn because it just doesn't sit well with me like whatsoever. And I just feel really, really average of it. So they're the things that I avoid. Um, and then in terms of the way that I eat, I eat a kind of, I guess you could say a keto carnivore paleo-ish type of thing. I don't like to be put into any sort of camp. That's the best way I can describe it. I like eating shitloads of red meat because I get the best results on it. I feel amazing on it. I grow really well on it. Like everything's really good on it. Um, I minimize my carbs. I used to eat about a thousand grams of carb content a day, not a kilo of potato, five kilos of potato, right? So 1000 grams of carbs was big. I I was big once. I was like 105. It's like 10 kilos more than what I weigh now. How I want to dig into that because people don't realize sometimes the cost of getting really big and strong and how did you plan out what was probably what a 5000 6000 calorie uh, surplus like how did you structure such a big day or big days um, I drank a shitload of dextrose okay I had like 400 grams of dextrose around my workouts um, I ate a lot of gummy bears and I had a buttload of those McCain's, you know, the green oven baked potato, potato chips, the ones that are like low fat. Yeah. Yeah. Those ones I used to hate like kilos of those a day. That's what I did, but it's not fun. It sounds glamorous. It's not, it really sucks all day. You're in a food coma all day. You feel like shit all day. is just like bleh, really, really average. It's not a fun way to live whatsoever, but I wanted to get really big and I wanted to be number one in the world. And so that's what I was doing it for. How did you, you well, before I get to the number one in the world, how was your gut health at the time? Because, you know, I I noticed in your bio it says beat IBS and I'm not sure how deep you've dug into gut health, but probably enough to put in your bio. Um, How was that at the time? Because that total amount of even just sheer volume of food, let alone the quality of it, can play some havoc on the gastrointestinal tract. How are you feeling? Here's the thing about gut health that for whatever reason, no one gets, and this frustrates the hell out of me. Your gut is tied with your nervous system. If your autonomic nervous system's fine, your gut is pretty much always going to be fine. I'll give you an example, right? You know, those blokes who, who the, the surfy guys who live on the beach and all they do is they collect their dole checks. They go eat fish and chips, bang tourists and surf, right? That's their life. Those guys, they don't often have gut issues, right? They don't have it. They might eat like shit. They might drink like a fish, um, but they don't end up getting a lot of these issues. The people who get really bad gut issues are the executives, the A-type personality, the people who are not sleeping, they're hustling, 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 okay? Now, this is a gross exaggeration. I'm not saying all the camps are either fine or not fine, right? But this is just an example. The nervous system is the thing that runs this. It's what regulates it. This is the big boy here. Who, who This is the real player, the nervous system. And if you regulate your nervous system, you'll be fine. I didn't have any gut issues when I was consuming all that. And people are like, oh my God, that's so much sugar and so little fiber. You know, like how, how are you doing that? It's like, it doesn't really matter that much. Want, it's super overstated. I want to pause there because I think you, yeah, you can do it, right? You can uh, be in that giant surplus and still maintain, you know, as best 
as possible functional gut health, but that's a very broad term. Mm. Um, I just want to clarify, were you experiencing at the time, at least with the sheer volume of food, bloating, gassiness, belching, diarrhea, like, did you have any of those symptoms and side effects? Uh, the bloating, I mean, you have to, because it's got to, there's, there's like kilos of food going, they've got to go somewhere, right? right, right, right. And it's just going to sit there. So you constantly, yeah, you're definitely more distended from it. That's where you look, you look at a lot of the big bodybuilders, right? And they get the, um, the, the development of the, they call it, people call it the growth hormone gut. Bubble, it's very rarely growth hormone. Yeah, it's not a bubble. It, it, it's there because of food. They're eating a shitload of food. That's what they're doing. And then also all the other stuff that they're doing as well doesn't doesn't help at all. Um, but yeah, it's it's food's got to go somewhere. But in terms of diarrhea, constipation, that no regular two to three times a day, every single day. And as I say on Facebook, they're all mud dragons, right? So that's that's what you want to lay every day. Wait, you said what mud two, two dragons? To, two to three mud dragons every single day. What the right hell is, how, what the hell is a mud dragon? How do I imagine what? a Bro, imagine it. <laughs> I'm a goddamn mud dragon. That's hilarious. Oh, yeah? a, a dragon is such a specific shape. I don't even know what to do with that. Oh. I, you know, I'm not shaping it, bro. It's just how it comes out. It's long and it's smooth <laughs> and it's cylindrical. I'm not playing my poo and making it making wings and talons and, and all that. <laughs> Can you imagine making wings and talons? That's funny. But to back up. You said something really important. You gave an example of a small population that, you know, doesn't really watch what they eat. They're pretty relaxed. They're just, they're not overthinking it, right? But you said two big things that enable them to live that lifestyle and maintain just average, normal gut function. Sleep, they're not sleep deprived, which we know has a huge cascade of effects metabolically and on the intestinal uh, epithelium. And then stress, which we know, again, has doubling the effect to damage that gut lining. How, and I think you've partly answered it, moving to the Gold Coast, it's that lifestyle too. How do you manage those two to optimize them personally? And what do you recommend for people? Yeah, you know, the interesting thing, right, about moving up here is that, um, and we've got a beautiful apartment right on the beach. Like, it's it's amazing. It's it's absolutely unreal. But the thing is that... Um, if you're in a stressed state, you you don't even notice that. It all becomes normal and we normalize it. That's why materialism never leads to happiness because you just become used to it. You just adapt and you're on to the next thing. You want more, 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 more. The things that really help me regulate it, uh, breath work. I do a shitload of breath work. Okay? That's huge. Um, also uh, going through and you know utilizing nootropics. Um, I don't use a heap of them, but I use some things to boost serotonin in particular we run these uh you may or may not have heard of something called the braverman assessment it's a yeah it's an it's a neurotransmitter assessment it's recognized as bad science but the thing is it fucking works like really really well um and so i go through and i run that and i see okay well based on the symptom based on the personality roughly what do i need to boost am i low in dopamine serotonin gaba acetylcholine like where am i missing and i go through and do that and then Based on those results, I then go through and I change my supplementation with nootropics. And then that allows me to stay really, really regular. And although it's, once again, the evidence-based community will say it's a terrible test. And maybe, I guess, scientifically, maybe it is, but it fucking works. Yeah. Every time I do it, I feel better. I know Charles Poliquin. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Um, big time. Yeah, he, he was a big fan of that and using that. It's huge. And uh, so nootropics, what nootropics do you find particularly beneficial for you? There's so many out there you can go different mushroom blends you can go certain teas that have compounds in them what do you use 
Uh, life cycle, hands down, yeah. the the best. Like anything from them, um, they're fire. They're awesome. They're they're from around here as well. Yeah. I met one of the, one of the founders of it. Really fucking lovely bloke, and just loves mushroom. That's the other thing too. I like about them is that I meet a fair few owners of companies, and and that really shows how the product's going to be. Um, and he's just a fucking incredible man, just a real gem of a human, pure soul, creates an amazing product. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're awesome. Um, and then other than that, so yeah, mushrooms, heaps of mushrooms, lion's mane, reishi, et cetera, et cetera. They're fantastic. Lion's mane's amazing for sleep and function throughout the day. Uh, but then also I'm a big fan of GABA, um, which is gamma amino butric acid. It's one of the major inhibitory neurotransmitters in the body. And I like that because it lets, it lets us calm down. I used to love Fenibute, which is like GABA, but even better. Um, and also 5-HTB tryptophan, they're great. I don't take a lot of them anymore. Um, and then also controversially is psilocybin. Big fan of that. Like huge fan of microdosing. Yeah. Okay. So you will... Uh, you just I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about, about this on the, on the podcast, but... Talk about... It's conversation. Like we talk about everything and anything. Are you comfortable yeah. with... Um, how okay to back up to to GABA? Will you take the because it's actually, you know, can be very useful to aid sleep and downregulate an overactive sympathetic nervous system. Will you take GABA itself, or will you take it some of its precursors that activate GABA? What will you take? I actually like GABA because um, obviously fenibut being the big precursor. That's the, that's the one everyone knows about and everyone uses or used to use anyway until it got banned by the TGA and all their wisdom, uh, really <laughs> saving some lives there, helping something which cured anxiety for a lot of people and helped insomnia. Good on you, TGA. Well done. Um, don't even get me started on their recent crackdowns, which are just there to justify their paycheck. Um, we can. Uh, in, my, in my opinion, in my opinion. Um, I don't know. I'll probably get sued over that one. But uh, um, I, don't need, I don't need any more controversy in my life. But um, I know I'm a big fan of GABA, really, really huge fan of GABA because <laughs> – um, it's not, it's not known to be centrally acting. It doesn't, it's not, it's known to not really cross the blood brain barrier well, but it works peripherally. And I found that that's really, really strong. I mean, everybody in the nootropic community is always focusing on how can we get it to the brain? How can we get it to the brain? How can we get it to the brain? But remember doing things like breathing or doing things like working on your muscle, like getting a massage, getting acupuncture, they are more beneficial in a lot of ways than these things. And so I believe there's a lot of benefit into working peripherally as well. So that's why I use GABA, big fan of it. Okay. And then I, I got to go to the psilocybin because yeah. now a lot of great research is emerging out, even on um, DMT as well, on the effects of psilocybin and these other psychedelic drugs to reduce depression and anxiety and addictive behaviors. And it's quite profound, the effects they're having. How, what do you think about that? And it's because it's not legal right now, um, but you know, regardless, people are going to get it if it benefits them. How did you think about structuring and microdosing that and finding a dose that works for you? Good, good question. Um, starting low and then going up way too high, and, and and had a lot of fun at way too high as well. Um, and then coming back down to something which is more reasonable and something which is manageable on a day-to-day. Uh, it's it's as, as simple as that. The tricky thing with it is that because it's, you know, obviously unregulated and I just go and, you go and pick them up where you go and pick them up out of the ground, you don't know what the exact concentration is. So it's not an exact science, far from it. 
Um, but you just got to re- remember that less is more. Simple as that. Less Always try. And, yeah, less is more. What do you notice from it? For me? Yeah. So the anxiety, depression stuff, big time here. It's huge. Like I'm super prone to it. Super, super prone to anxiety. Just naturally, just, just as the way that I am. And the biggest thing for me is that it's really helped me go through and own that. Obviously, I do a heap of other shit to, to control it and, and modulate it too. But helping me become way more content within me, not giving a fuck about what a lot of other people think. Clarity of thought is a big one too. Thinking, you know, why am I feeling this way? Why am I acting this way? Am I, you know, doing service to self or service to others? Like what way am I acting? I'm a big believer that whenever you serve others, that is probably the biggest cure for depression because a lot of people who are depressed often don't do service to others and are more self-focused, be it in self-sabotage or, you know, trying to claim for themselves or whatever. There's a lot of unhappiness that comes from that. And when you start serving others, it often brings you a lot of joy. Um, so yeah, they're, they're the main ways where it helps me. It's, okay. been, it's been awesome. Big fan of it. And with sleep, in your experience, what would you recommend for the coaches and trainers listening who are working with clients to, you know, improve their sleep, improve their stress. How do you find the best way to communicate the behavior change to create those positive habits? To communicate it to clients? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. First thing is everybody's after the biggest performance answer. Everyone wants to be bigger, leaner, faster, stronger, smarter, better. Sure. And you got it. And you're meant to do it every night for eight to 10 hours really deeply, right? But nobody does. So if you can communicate with them that whenever they minimize sleep, their whole day becomes less effective, then that's a no brainer. Obviously it depends on the client and you've got to communicate with each person around it. And if there's one thing that a lot of clients are great at, particularly the ones who don't sleep enough, it's excuses, right? Um, So I guess this probably comes back to an even more holistic coaching thing of how you should do with coaching. Whenever you're coaching somebody and you actually want to work with them, you need to ask permission to call them out on their shit. And you need to have that really open communication so that you can actually talk openly with them like really, really well and very, very thoroughly. And when they're acting like a dickhead, be able to call them a dickhead, not in a way which is demeaning or putting them down, but in a way which is like, hey, motherfucker, you're not lifting your game. You're doing things which you know are wrong and I'm calling you out and I want you to change this because I care about you. So asking for permission is the biggest one to call them out on their crap because that way you can then keep them accountable. If you don't ask for permission, like this is the biggest thing that, and, and everybody's got to learn this for sales too, right? If you don't know about asking for permission, you're going to have a hard time making sales. If you know to ask for permission and you can get people's permission to be open with them and honest with them and to for them to, to be open with you back, that's when you'll be able to get somebody to do whatever is going to be in their best interest. How do you structure that? How do you actually ask people for quote unquote permission to be honest? Will you literally just say it like that? Yeah, I literally say it whenever somebody starts up with this, if I'm taking, if I'm taking the call and they're, they're, they're signing up through me, I'll say, um, now one thing I want to get straight before we get into this, do you give me permission to always be open and honest with you? Do you give me permission to always communicate with you? And if needs be, call you out on your shit if I think that you're not acting in the way which is best for your health. And then once they acknowledge that, you've established and opened that door. Yeah, exactly. And I confirm it after that. I say, you sure? So you sure you're open for me to do this? And they say, yep. Because why wouldn't you? Right? It's a no-brainer to do it. 
But yeah, once you ask for permission, the doors open. And instead of you trying to go in and hammer on it and knock down and, and barge through the front door, it's just there for you. It's open, it's waiting and you can just come straight in. That's quite useful. I like that. How do you, what do you think are the biggest uh, common mistakes that early personal trainers and coaches make that you see in this industry? In your experience, Fucking chasing and harassing clients. I mean, I get tenacity and, and I think that that's a, uh, a brilliant thing, but you, you need to go with the flow. I'm a big fan of um, Taoism, right? Which is like the Chinese, uh, I don't know, Chinese, one of their philosophies on how you just need to go with the flow. You don't need to force life. The more you force things, the harder it gets. Um, you need to, you need to flow with it. And you need to get people to just be attracted to you. Just you want, you need people to just come to you magnetically through you just being really fucking awesome. Now that it's easier to say, it's harder to do, but what you need to work on is straight away, get your marketing game up, make sure that you know your niche, have your offer there, have your solution, have your point of difference and have a reason for people to want to actually talk to you. I mean, we've all had PTs and people try and not even just PTs, we've always had people try and sell us shit we don't want. Telemarketers, you get a call in the middle of dinner and you're like, Who's this? What do you want? They're trying to sell you some shit and you're like, oh, fuck off, right? It's really, really unwanted. You want to have your customers reach out to you and be like, hey, I like what that dude's doing. I like what she's doing. This is amazing. I really, really vibe with them. I'm going to go work with them. Because the funny thing is that two things happen. Number one, instead of you hustling and grinding and pushing and it being really, really fucking difficult for you to get off the ground, something becomes easy. And then the second thing is that you'll be able to charge 10 times as much when you actually have people wanting to work with you as opposed to you chasing people. You have the leverage, supply, demand. A hundred percent. Okay, I want to go back. Young James Cam, you didn't start like this. I mean, I assume you didn't. You didn't start 10,000 followers, thousands of dollars of leads every week. I want to take you back to when you first began. How did you get from zero to this? Like, what did you do? What are the mistakes you made early on? But when did you realize and when did it start to click for you? Like how many months or years before you like, oh shit, this shit is working now. I've got the groove now. Yeah. Um, so I first started off just posting up content on Instagram and Facebook just because I liked posting content. How many Simple years ago was this? Uh, six years ago. Okay, great. Six I'm, years ago. I just want to put that in perspective. Six years, you said. You didn't say one year, That's six th- months, overnight. Yeah, it's not overnight. I don't know who thinks about it overnight. I mean, now I could do it again overnight, but back when without the knowledge, like, like, cause we, we help people build, you know, I've helped many people build like six figure businesses like that, like in a couple of months, right? Once you've done it, it's really easy. But when you, when you're first starting out and if you're going at it by yourself and you're trying to learn and making all the same mistakes that I did, it's going to take you fucking years. Like I started off by just posting out amazing content just that I liked, just things that I enjoyed writing. And I really enjoyed the feeling when somebody would comment back and say, this is really helpful. Thank you. I never knew that. And so that's cool. Great. I'm going to do more of it. And then I started getting people approaching me for coaching and I started saying, oh, no, I don't want to do coaching. I want to do medicine. So fucking glad I never did medicine. Best decision of my life to not do that. Um, You did a medical science degree. Is that right? 
Yeah, that's right. So at school, high school, wasn't smart enough to get straight into medicine. So I went through and I did medical science and, uh, and the intention was to go from there and choose whether I wanted to do medicine or pharmacy or whatever else I thought that I should do at the time, whatever I was told by, you know, the people above me that I should do. Um, and so, yeah, I went through and I did medical science, loved it. Amazing degree. I learned so much from it. I learned the best thing. You know, the crazy thing about uni, right, is people come out of uni and think they're a big dick because they've been to uni, got a degree. Your degree means shit. The only thing that matters is your, your ability to actually give, to give results to other people. What the degree teaches you is how to learn. That's all the degree teaches, teaches you. I learned a lot of stuff at uni. I still use some of it to this day. 99% I don't. 99% of it was fucking useless. I mean, who uses statistics still? Really? Like who uses statistics anymore? Unless you're digging through research papers over and over and over again, you're going to rarely do it. You know, you don't need that shit. Well, so, yeah. I'll pause there for a second. The benefit of like research methods um, and understanding statistics is you can actually disseminate and interpret research much more accurately instead of headline reading, right? And so I think if there was a primer, like a statistics, reading research uh, 101 for you know, everybody who just headline reads, then we we may have like a more accurate transfer of information from the headline that says one thing and the actual data that we're all making conclusions of that says another. I agree. If you're going through and headlining reading, I don't think headline reading is good. I'm certainly not advocating for headline reading. I'm more advocating for the fact that you're a coach. You should be coaching and you should be investing. I don't see, when you go through and you read studies, right? You can spend hours going down that rabbit hole. And yes, okay, guilty. I do use statistics still. and I still may know a little bit of that stuff. And maybe that's a poor example, but I don't like spending hours there because it's super inefficient. That is the worst place for me to spend my time. I'm way better to go out. If I'm worth, you know, a thousand bucks an hour plus, I'm way better going off and paying somebody to go do that research for me, interpret it, and then come and give it back to me. Yeah. You know, that's way, way better. No. I don't see why a coach would be doing research because you're not a researcher. That's not your area of expertise. You're a coach. You should be going out. A coach should coach and a coach should be coached. I don't believe that a coach should research, you know, in my opinion, whenever you're working with clients and whether you're a PT, I don't believe it's your space to go through and to dig through hours and hours and hours of science because, first of all, you probably don't have the training to do go through and do it properly and like nail it. Second of all, you've got to go through and you've got to register and sign up for all the fucking journey articles to get all the full text and all that sort of stuff. And third of all, it's just an immense amount of time, which is not making you better at your craft. You're learning small little bits from each paper and you're going down rabbit holes and you're learning how to ask more questions but I feel you'd be a thousand times more beneficial to go through and learn. I don't know if you guys have your own education arm about that sort of stuff in a re and a researcher's digest, but getting someone like you, you're clearly clear with it. Or someone like a Luke Tulloch. He's a very, very smart man. Um, and he's based in, in Sydney. Incredibly, actually might be overseas at the moment. Um, incredibly smart guy who literally just goes through and digests research and teaches it. That's where, you, in my opinion, where you should learn, not learning from going and spending hours and hours and hours reading statistics so you okay so i can see i'm trying to pass that yeah i can see what you're saying now you're like find somebody who's doing a really good job at it and learn from them but then also how do you incorporate self-study into your own coaching and for the you know the clients that you've worked with how do you how would you think about well i'm still gonna learn things and self-study what structure and routine do you have in that sense? Because research and studies is one way to absorb information. What's other avenues you look at? 
Yeah. So I go out and I find the best person, the specific thing that I want to learn about. I go pay them a lot of money. Got it. Simple as that. Simple as that. People have this weird thing about hiring mentors as if it makes you lesser or you're not as good. It is the most time effective thing because we can go through and you've sound like you've read your fair share of studies. How many studies do you go through when you're like, this is super not applicable to anything at all. It is super not valid. Who the fuck even funded this study and who even thought this study was a good idea? Right. Like, what it, and why have I just wasted 40 minutes reading through this piece of shit? You know what I mean? And there's a lot of that out there, which is just super not valid. There's heaps of it. You know, we're not valid to us, not valid to what we're looking at. So why wouldn't you pay for someone else to do that for you? That's a great it, point. As you're saving time, money, energy, and you're finding a more efficient way to get to the piece of information that's going to practically apply and change your life. 100%. I wouldn't have a multi-million dollar business if I spent every waking hour of the day just going through and studying. Well, you're also, you're not a researcher. I'm not a researcher. Like, we, we don't want to be researchers. Like, I don't want to just sit here and read. Um, I also want to apply, and as you do. Yeah. I was talking um, with a friend of mine. He's doing a PhD at the time. Yeah. And he, he burnt out from it and got super over because he got sick of being in a fucking lab yeah. all day, every day. And he was doing some really cool shit on genetics, like really awesome stuff but that life just sucks. It just wasn't for him. And it's not for most people, very, very few people. And that's probably why I know for those of you who studied at uni, a lot of your professors are so fucking grumpy, right? A lot of them are grumpy. You see, there's a lot that are really happy and a lot that really aren't. And it's like, shit, do you really want to be doing that all day? Just researching, reading, just go pay someone who's amazing at it and who actually enjoys it. Right. But that's the, you pointed out, like if you love it and you enjoy it, like that role is super Mm. important. Like how much amazing research has led to these realizations about human science and genetics and and gut health and and the brain like oh yeah it's super integral but Mm. if you're a coach yeah i don't think that's you right i think if you're coming into coach and you're here to work with people and you're a people person that's not your jam if you're a researcher and you love data and you love statistics all the stuff that i hate and think that a lot of people shouldn't do right Go for gold because we need people like you like you are really really freaking important and without you i would be fucked I'm really glad we got to that nuanced point because this is the thing, man. If we just took that 30-second clip that people would run with, completely misinterpret the intent of what we're saying. And now learn with that. But now five minutes of nuanced conversation, you got it. Um, let's keep going upon that though. You we were talking about starting from zero. You were just starting posting things you were interested in, documenting kind of you got positive feedback, people asking you to be a coach, six years. Please go on. Yeah. Um, and then I just started getting more and more people work with me. And then I coached some people who did quite well in bodybuilding. And then I coached some US college athletes and they were crushing it as well. Uh, and I coached, you know, some more high profile people. They kept doing well, kept going through and delivering excellence. And then I started getting more referrals and more people through the door. And then my profile started growing and all that sort of stuff. And then said some controversial shit and a lot of people hated me. And then a lot of people saw the rest of my stuff and said, Hey, you're actually really smart. Like I like this guy. And they came through and they started following me. And then it just kept being on a cycle of that, of just growing, 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 and just trying to always deliver as much as I possibly could for my clients. As long as you look after your clients they'll look after you people are good i massively believe that people are inherently good particularly the ones who you go through and serve they want to help you people will go out of their way to help you and so i just kept doing that kept growing the business 
I've had many, many falters. I mean, I've hired some people who are absolutely shithouse before. I've hired several terrible employees who were just the worst and they sent me back years, but they also gave me years of knowledge. And then every time, you know, I'd, I'd hire someone poorly or I'd manage someone poorly, I would then go through and create a way to solve that problem. So it was all a matter of making a mistake, going out, winging it, trying to get people to come in and, and teach me how to do it. Actually, that was one thing though that I was really weak on early. Right now we spend hundreds of thousands a year on mentoring and learning. But when in the early days, when I was first starting out, um, it was very it was very slow growth because I was adamant I didn't need a mentor. I was adamant that nobody was bigger than me. Nobody knew more than me. Like I knew everything because I was 20 years old and I was making a couple hundred grand a year. And I thought that I was king shit because of that. And that was probably the most harmful thing that I've ever done in my life was not invest in mentoring because it cost me years. Where our business has doubled in the last few months from using mentors, just from doing that. And if I had done this, like if I knew now what I knew then, oh my God, the business would be in a, I'd be in a crazily different space. Okay. I want to pause there and dig into that. What do you, what do you specifically refer to? What is that realization that if I only knew what I knew then, that you, the stuff that you've been learning from those mentors that have been like light bulbs that you would want to pass on to, you know, a younger generation like myself. Jeez, take a pick. Um, I had one of the guys who I did learn a lot from, his name was Rodin Dubois, really smart guy, amazing, amazing bodybuilding and strength coach. Um, really, one of the one of the smartest guys in the industry. How do you uh, spell term- his name? Rodin Dubois? D- yeah, Rodin, oh. D-U-B-O-I-S, Rodin oh. Dubois. Really, really smart guy. One of the best coaches in all of bodybuilding, in my opinion. He's the guy who helped me turn pro. He literally, because of him, I turned pro. Um, the dude is a freaking genius. Um, and I couldn't recommend him more highly. So learning from him and looking about that, he was the guy who set me up to go through and be awesome at coaching and actually go through and do that. And that's why we've always excelled at coaching. But in terms of the other areas of business, of going through and learning about marketing, learning about sales, learning about how to do amazing customer service, learning how to even run a business, setting up company structures, tax, you know, making sure that you delegate really effectively as a leader, you know, setting up my purpose, my vision, my mission, my values, all that sort of stuff. Missed a lot of that because I didn't do it up until recently. And if you, I'm looking at Ron Dubois now and just trying to um, pass out, what is a lesson that he taught you that you found particularly valuable? Um, a lot of it was don't be a pussy. So that was the biggest one. Um, don't be don't be a bitch. I remember, I remember a time where he was, I used to train a lot. So I'd be training twice a day. And we had this period where we were trying to bring up my back because my back was weaker. And so I was doing um, my back and my legs. So I was deadlifting and, or squatting every day of the week. Okay. So six days a week, I was doing it and I was doing it twice a day. And we went through and there was a part where I was like, dude, my fucking back feels like it's going to explode. And he was, he literally just looked at me. He's like, you'll be right. Just go do a few more reps. It'll be okay. All right. And I kept telling him, I'm like, mate, do, do you want to fucking win or not? Um, and that was one of the things that I learned from him is that first of all, nobody gives a shit if you're in pain, if you want to, if you really want it bad enough, you work for it and get it. And then second of all, yeah, don't be a pussy. Just go through, push through it. You'll be fine. Who else has been a particularly influential mentor over your life? Maybe more in the business sense as well yeah. as improved your systems. Um, there's a fella called, um, 
Matt Boone. Matt Boone and the team at Sales Sniper. They're really, really awesome guys. Um, I have learned a shitload from Matt. I, I actually coach Matt, so I do all his health stuff and he helps me out with a lot of the business stuff. Um, I have learned a metric shitload from him just from talking to him. Um, he's an absolute freaking genius in the area of leadership, business growth, sales, and just helping a business scale. I mean, that guy has scaled more multi-million dollar businesses than anybody else I know. Um, he's a, he's an absolute genius. He and his business partner, James Sackle, they're absolute monsters. So they're really, really high level guys. I learn a lot from them. Matt Boone, how do you, uh, what's his social media? Do you know? Uh, Matt Ryder, R-Y-D-E-R is his social media. I just type in sales sniper. Awesome. Thank you. But it, you know, it's always like behind us all, there is, that we're standing on the shoulders of giants, that classic phrase. Yeah. You made a mention also earlier that now you got the blueprint, you got the recipe almost you know, you got the recipe of how to build a strong, big body, right? And step on stage and win. And it sounds like now you got the recipe on how to make a six figure business. You said really easy, right? And when people say those things, I'm like, I'd like to dig into them. Like what principles are behind that statement that make you feel so confident that you can do that with yourself and with other people? Because I've done it, that's the first thing. Is because once you've done it, it suddenly becomes all that, all that less mysterious. You know what I mean? But I've done it with myself, and I've done it with others too, right? We had one fella who did a hundred grand of sales in a week, right? And in one of his first weeks, doing as a hundred thousand dollars, right? It's a huge amount of contract value right there. Um, and he he did he did a tremendous job. So seeing that go, and it's like that's that's nuts, right? Um, that's six, six weeks in a week. It was stupid. I didn't even believe it. I was like, fuck, that's pretty intense. That's way more than what I thought. Um, but then in terms of what it is, it's actually like how I can be so confident on it. You just got to understand what is a business? What does it take to, to make six figures? If you make, if you want to make a hundred grand a year, you only need one person up until about probably 300 grand a year in the fitness industry anyway, in this, in what I work with, you really only need one person. And it's after you get to that stage, like after 30K a month, that's where you need to start hiring and getting people on. Oh, that's what you meant. I thought you meant one client for a second, but no, you mean like- um, One team member. Gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it really depends on what you need to do. I mean, if you look at how a business is, a business is purely, it's made up of four main areas. You have- the marketing, you have sales, you have product delivery, and you have finance. They're the four areas of a business. And then you need to create your standard operating procedures for each part of those areas and know what works. With marketing, you need to understand, well, first of all, what's your niche going to be? Who are you going to attract? And is it blue water or is it red water? Okay, if it's blue water, go for it. Go for gold. You're going to have a very fun time. And by blue water, by the way, I mean um, you have very few competitors, if any right? And you can easily step in and dominate that market. Or if you're in red water where there's blood in the water because everybody's fighting over it, you've got to have some unreal mechanism or some insane price ladder where you can get people in for very, very cheap. And you can get them in without, you know, blowing your ad spend or, or without having to worry about competition. For those of you who are starting, if you're less than seven figures, I would not recommend red water ever. Always go for a really crystal clear niche when no one's with you. I'll give you an example of a, of a brilliant niche. I've got a, a friend of mine, absolute genius in, in the world of marketing. His name's Andrew Gosen. Really, really great dude. And um, he, he goes and he runs a company which is focused on working with women with um, hypothyroidism. 
right? So they've, they've got Hashimoto's predominantly and helping them lose weight. Crushes it, you know, absolutely dominant, dominates it worldwide, absolutely smokes it. Um, and it's because it's in such a blue water niche that he can go through and do that. And they own the whole market. It's like fucking good on him. Um, and so that's that's why I recommend a blue water is because it's way easier to start. That's the first thing. And then once you've got that, once you have the market, develop the offer. What are you actually going to go through and give these people? How are you actually going to help them? And you need to make that offer really strong. Everywhere you see at the moment, every gym has a PT. Every gym has a fat loss specialist or a muscle gaining specialist or a fucking boxing coach or this or that or this or that, right? It's nothing new. There's always competition there. You need to come in and find out what the market wants, who you want to work with, and how you're actually going to help them and give them something which is attractive to them. Not attractive to you, is attractive to them because when you solve their problems, you get paid, right? So make sure that you actually know that and understand the fundamentals of marketing in that. And then once you've got that, then you've got to transition into sales. How do you actually go through and sell in an ethical manner? Because if there's one thing that doesn't work anymore, it's for sales. It's pushy sales. It's sleazy tactics. It just simply doesn't work because people are smart. So what you've got to do, lo and behold, is be ethical, right? It's crazy how that's a, uh, uh, it's a unique thing these days, right? You actually have to be ethical. Who knew? Who knew that would help? In a sea full of hucksters and, you know, get rich quick schemes, you know, it makes sense. It does. And you know what's interesting just on that as well, seeing for Hux doesn't get to get rich. One of our um, things that we do with our clients is we don't do any get rich quick schemes. We don't do any fucking, um, we don't do any lose all this fat in a couple of weeks. You'll be better in three weeks time. Just take this magical pill. And people like it and they say, wow, that's the first time I've heard it and it actually makes sense. So anyone who tries to sell the get rich quick stuff or tries to sell the shortcuts, you're going to notice that your time is running out because people are wising up and they know it's going to take time. Absolutely. Yeah. So be ethical in sales, like learn how to sell ethically. Go check out Matt, Matt Ryder's and Matt Boone stuff. Um, like he's, he's, he is probably the best. I know they run the largest sales company in Australia in their niche um, at, at Sales Sniper. Um, and they're, they're absolutely, they're, they're savages. They're really, really, they're fucking awesome. Um, but he's, in my opinion, one of the best in the world. Um, best in the world. Some of the guys, good guys, if you are interested in sales to look at, uh, Matt, Jeremy Minor, Eli Wild. Um, Eli used to sell for Tony Robbins. I've worked with him personally. Phenomenal guy. Really, really good dude. Um, and these are all guys. So Eli sold $100 million. Um, Jeremy collected $3 million in commissions a year for like the last how many years, you know? So that means he was selling $30 million plus a year, which is insane. Um, so yeah, there's okay. some good people to learn from. That's great. Thank you. Um, now going through that process, you're going through sales, marketing, and it's, I'm really, it's really interesting because if people listen to this podcast regularly, like I'm hearing similar things from some of the best minds, right? Like this structure I have heard in a way before between people, you know, similarly successful as you, which I find like success leaves clues. So if we were to keep going, what's, the, you know, marketing sales, like finance, handling, managing money, what, what's something that you learned that you wish you knew back in the day about managing your income and expenses as a, as a coach and business owner? I'm lucky because I've always been a massive tight ass. So I haven't had any hard lessons with money. Um, 
All I would say though, is make sure your contracts are always airtight with all of your employees and your team. If you have them, make sure you always pay yourself a wage, no matter where you're at. I actually, here's a big one for a lot of people. This wasn't one of my struggles, but I know a lot of people have this one is you pay yourself as the business. You will have one bank account, which is where all your income comes in and then all your personal expenses come out. Worst idea ever. Always separate business from you. Even if you're a sole trader, right? Even if you're a sole trader, whoever, you need to separate your business from you. You are not your business. Your business is a separate entity. You need to treat it like that. It's a very weird way to think. And it probably won't make sense right now for a lot of people out there. But you need to treat it separately because your business is its own organism. It has income. It has expenses. Business income expenses need to come out of the business account. You then need to pay yourself a wage from that business account. Okay. If you're not sure where to go, I don't know if you guys do anything on this, but the profit first method is one thing that I was introduced by one of my mentors recently. Um, and, uh, and that's been something which I feel everybody should have is the profit first method where you go through and you actually, um, you, have income come into your business account, into an income account, and then immediately part of it pays you, part of it goes to tax, part of it goes to your expenses. Everything is just straight away separated out. What were you, okay. So then you detach yourself from, I mean, everything has a structure and is delineated fairly and equally, not equally, but like, um, it's not all in one hodgepodge of a mixed up bank account where you, you're you not really keeping track of what comes in and out. It's all just a yeah. mess in between. Exactly. Because the biggest place where people get fucked right is when they forget to pay their tax. Mm-hmm. And often that comes around when people start earning $75,000 a year and all of a sudden there's this magical little thing called GST in Australia, which the government comes up and expects you to pay, right? So suddenly, instead of making $75,000 a year, if you're with GST for the next year, that means you've actually made 60, whatever it is, you know what I mean? 65. Well, well, yeah, whatever. My math is so shit. But pretty much you've just made 10% less than what you thought you did because you've got to pay 10% in GST straight away. So you need to account for that. You need to make sure that you're setting aside your money for tax. Also, the other thing too is a lot of people will get, this is the biggest small trader thing, small business thing that I see all the time is people will say, oh, I made 200 grand this year because I turned over 200. And then you're like, but bro, you had 20 grand of expenses in the gym. You had 10 grand of insurance. You had five grand of courses. You've had all these other things. And then it whittles down to the person eventually not making very much money at all in profit at the end of the day. It's the biggest thing, not knowing where your actual money is. I think this doesn't get talked about much. Like you don't learn this in high school. You don't learn this in university. Like it's, there's this missing link between financial literacy and business literacy that, you know, honestly, I think the population and the average person looks at people like you on social media alike to you and they'll put you guys in a box like, oh, just a social media quote unquote influencer um whatever you want to call online coach but there is a lot of business acumen and financial literacy that has to go behind that in order to get to the point you're at i think that needs to be acknowledged and respected at least and learn as well i don't know if i give you respect me or not but at least do it don't 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 uh don't go through and make the same mistake as so many other people before you and fuck up your tax don't ever fuck the tax man because uh, I'll be a little bit graphic here. He's got a much longer and a much harder dick than what you do, <laughs> right? So if you fuck him, he'll fuck you back twice as good. 
Totally. Um, okay, let's keep going from early career as we like kind of round out the. Con- Actually, are you good to keep talking? I, I want to be respectful yeah, of your time. I'm good. Let me check what I got. I like talking with you, man. I appreciate um, it. Yeah, it's cool. Won't be too much longer, um, I think. But just to round out like your career, so you, you, these things are starting to go well. People are starting to contact you and asking to work with you. You have some success with clients. Um, how many years in are you at at this point where things are starting to pick up? Depends what you define as pick up. You know, I was happy making, you know, 500 grand a year and, you know, that was a pretty cool lifestyle, you know, and that, that was good. And I was traveling all over the world and I was doing whatever the fuck that I wanted. And, you know, that was nice. You know, it's nice. It was fun. You know, had, had, had a lot. Um, it wasn't stress-free by any means because I create a lot of stress myself all the time. But it really depends what you define as take off. I now consider where I'm at and, you know, I make more money than what I ever thought I would. But I also now at the same time consider that it's not taking off as quickly as what I want it to be. It's all a matter of perspective on what, what you actually define it as. So it's a really hard question to answer. Um, but for me, really, when it started, I guess, accelerating, you know, we've done pretty big growth over the last six months when a lot of businesses have, have failed. Um, Really, the yeah, I guess I guess if you're looking at it in terms of revenue-wise and how much we've grown over the last six months, going from doing you know like you know 10, 20k a week up to closing 100 grand plus a week in, in contracts, um, it's yeah, really the last six months is when it's been when it's really taking off. However, over the coming few months as well, that's going to pale in comparison. It's going to be very small. So what what do you think you would do? What are you doing? And what habits? What routines? What uh, structures were you putting in place to enable you to execute that high amount of increased turnover in the middle of a pandemic? Yeah, first of all, was interestingly enough, started using psychedelics. That was the first thing. Wouldn't recommend them though. You should never do drugs are bad, all that sort of stuff. But uh, doing that and the thing that it allowed me to do was actually think more clearly on who I wanted to help and how I wanted to help. And instead of being self-absorbed, actually focusing on what problems I can solve for other people, because in the end of the day, the bigger the problems you solve, the more money you make. Simple as that. What pro- What big problems did you see that needed to be solved that you weren't solving that you are now? Weak men. Men, uh, in my opinion, because of not all, but in, from, from our perspective and what we deal with, men are the root cause of all greatness and all failure in life. And the reason why I say that is because, um, and I'm not saying that women aren't important. That's far from what I'm saying. That's, that's definitely not it. I'm just looking through our lens and what we're focusing on and how, and what we can control and how I can help people. Um, women are amazing. Sophie's like my fucking rock. I'd be fucked without her just saying that. Um, but men, if men treat women well, women become amazing and we allow them to be really, really great. But if men are pieces of shit, right? Then women can't go through and be as amazing as what they potentially can be. If men are great fathers, we have great sons. If men are weak fathers, we have weak sons. If men are great leaders, then we have great countries. If men are weak leaders, we have war. Um, and at every single bit, it comes back to the role of, uh, from my, my lens, only my lens, but where, the way we're focusing on, um, men are a lot of the root of this. And Men haven't been supported for a long time. Men get emotionally stunted, which is the worst thing that you can do because blokes have emotions too and we never talk about it. 
Men are emotionally stunted, held back, told to just sit down, shut up with anxiety and depression. And then we wonder why men start acting in such poor ways. And then I saw that and I was like, fuck, I really want to work on this shit because I've had my crap. I've been an asshole in the past. I look at the small amount of things, small amount of issues I've had. What if we look at 10,000 people who are just like me and we help make them all better? How much better would that world be? You speak in my language. Now, I had no idea this type of self actualization development within men uh, meant so much to you. I know this is something when we see each other and when we do this in person, I want to dig heavily into this. This is kind of the Elliot Hulse type of yeah. make men great again conversation that yeah. resonates deeply with me. Is this what Mind Muscle Camps is? Yeah, Mind Muscle Camps is definitely a part of that. Um, Mind Muscle Camps started off as something where I wanted to go over to Bali and I let a few people come over and fucking lift weights with me. Um, And that was pretty much it. And then it evolved into a lot more of helping people actually go through and do shit they never thought they could. Um, and then eventually, yes, it is revolving. We're, we're working with a mob down in Tasmania to have a man's retreat where we go down with a bunch of blokes and we spend a week down there lifting weights, hunting, um, you know, hunt, hunting, getting animals, actually showing respect for the animals that you go through and kill, skin them, gut them, clean them the whole lot, make the use of the whole animal and just being a fucking man again and getting your hands dirty, going out and going diving for abalone, picking up some crayfish, going skydiving, doing a heap of like gnarly shit and just a lot of time with some very, very high level guys. One of the fellas there is is Indigenous, is Aboriginal and has a lot of that, you know, uh, spirituality, whatever the fuck you want to call it, but just wisdom, just a really smart guy, really, really switched on and learning from people like that, being around a lot of really high level people and really high level, successful, amazing men. Man, let me know more information about that when you execute that. Um, Actually, if people wanted to find out more, how, how could they, you know, join that if they were interested? Contact me on Facebook. It's just James Kant, C-A-N-T, right? It's like the C word, but with an A. And, um, <laughs> Uh, it's an easy name to remember, huh? Um, but yeah, just comment, comment on that. At the moment, we obviously can't do it because of COVID and everywhere is getting shut down left, right and center. So it'd be a nightmare to organize. But as In soon as we can execute it, we will. Yeah, awesome. I'm really excited for it. Yeah, that's how you... I'm, I'm going to reserve my enthusiasm for a second and back up a little bit to finish this conversation. And you making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars earlier in your in your career, it's like... I think that's where a lot of young coaches and trainers just want to get to. It's a lifestyle that can tick Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You can live comfortably. You don't have to think about money if you keep your expenses and lifestyle relatively humble and and not excessive. But why didn't you stop there? You decided you wanted to keep elevating and playing the game of more, whatever more is in the domain that you chose. You know, 500, 400, 600,000, like... you can be pretty good off that. Why didn't you decide to continue your lifestyle there versus where you're at now? Keep going. Look, I, I can retire right now if I want to. Right. You know what I mean? I don't have to work. I don't have to do anything. But life would be pretty fucking boring. <laughs> like, what am I doing? What am I doing? You know, living off, you know, a hundred grand a year or whatever I'd make. Um, uh, I I could have a great life. I could do heaps of cool shit, 
but it wouldn't be fulfilling. It wouldn't be what I'm actually here to do. I've got some stuff that I actually want to do. And, you know, fuck, man, we're not here for a long time. I'm already 27 and almost 27, 26 and 27 in a couple of weeks. And it's like, shit, that's gone quick. Imagine how quick the next 60, 70 years are. When I'm on my deathbed and I fucking smell and I'm wrinkly and I'm shitting myself and like got cords in and out of everywhere, I want to be able to look back on life and say, fuck, I did some awesome stuff. And I want to be surrounded by my family. I want to be surrounded by like all the people who I've had like involvement with. And that's how I want to die, you know, or I want to die jumping out of a plane, one of the two, you know, with a parachute that just fails to open or something, right? Um, but pretty much that that's the way that I want to go. And I want to look back on life and say, I fucking lived it. I did some really, really cool stuff. I didn't just coast because for coast, a lot of people coasting is great. And I'm fucking power to you if that's you, but it's just not me for whatever reason. And maybe I need to go eat some more psilocybin and meditate and find out why that is. But it's just not something I'd be comfortable with. I think that's a very authentic, genuine way to end this conversation. James Kent, do you have any last parting thoughts, comments, asks of the people listening or just general advice and recommendations? You know, a lot of our audience is, you know, young or future personal trainers and coaches. Is there anything you would want to leave them with that could empower them to to live a better, more successful career in life? Yeah. Um, first of all, just reach out for help and pick the brains of as many people as you can learn from their mistakes. Try avoid making your own. It's way nicer to make other, to learn from other people's mistakes than your own. But then when you do make, make mistakes, who gives a fuck who cares? And at the end of the day, the other thing too is that it, nothing, none of this shit really matters. Like if you go through and you go broke and you try your hardest and you're doing something that you, that you love, you're still going to be happier being broke than what you would be making a few hundred grand a year, fucking miserable working 90 hours a week in a job that you fucking hate. Um, so go out, who cares, care less, go with the flow, enjoy it and serve others. And pretty much, and if you need a hand, just reach out and chat with us. My, I'm on, I'm everywhere. You, you poor people have probably seen my face before, right? It's just James Kent, C-A-N-T. It's the C word without, with, it, with an A instead of a U, right? Um, go through, reach out. We're more than happy to help you out and chat with you. Um, and, and yeah, I'll either personally help you or my team will, one of the two. Beautiful. James Kent, it was a pleasure to talk to you and I really enjoyed this conversation. I look forward to doing it one day in person. 100% would love to, man. Thanks for your time, Alex. Absolutely. I will, uh, see you when I see you and thank you, man. Enjoy your day. Pleasure, my dude. See ya. James Kent, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I like that we have such a wide variety of guests. Sometimes we get into the nuances of strength and conditioning and personal training sets and reps, programming, uh, and sometimes we have a bit more of a diverse conversation. And that's what you can expect from you know a podcast where I'm I'm uh, initiating it, whether it's my personal one or this Orphic podcast, um, where we where we have more of a, a niche and a niche, uh, more respect between to health and wellness. Um, and so I hope that conversation was uh, valuable for you guys. Um, and interesting and engaging and gave you some things to take away with the story of it's possible like as many people who do it as many people who don't do it but it, you know you don't have to necessarily suffer for for years and years on end in this industry like that seems like the stereotype and stigma but the more people i talk to you guys listen to the the commonalities like like look at the past people we've talked to and note that 
they're talking about similar things, whether it's Carl Montgomery and Athletes Authority, or whether it's uh, Travis Jones, or whether it's here James Camp and Keegan Smith, Paul Meldrum, like these guys, like business-wise, it's like you don't just have to be really intelligent and educated, but understanding the systems behind it so you can be more effective and help more people appears to be such an understated important point early on in the personal trainer coaching and this profession in general so i'm grateful for all of you listening and we are and i hope you guys enjoyed that conversation i'm alexander emmanuel sandals you can find me and my podcast and everything i do um, by googling my name otherwise thank you guys so much for listening we'll be back next week as usual every wednesday every week dropping a new great podcast with an interesting guest any requests for guests let us know any uh comments questions or if you guys are looking to do a certificate three and four in fitness then and you want something that is beyond average you want something that is represents what james was talking about water work ethic and excellence and tenacity and those characteristics and qualities and want something a bit above the norm and average We might be a good fit for you. Let us know. Otherwise, I'll see you guys next week.